Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. Please turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. We have a little bit lighter crowd today, so that just means I can go longer, right? (laughs) We're going to be here till after lunch. (laughs) I'm just joking. We're not. John chapter 15. It is a privilege to be um, in this pulpit. It is a privilege to preach. It is a privilege to teach the Word of God. And as a preacher and as a pastor... um, Our job as preachers and pastors when we stand behind this pulpit is to proclaim the word of God, um, not as we see it, not as uh, our opinions may uh, uh, be of it, uh, but our job is to plainly proclaim the word of God as God has written it, as it is. And we pray, 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 pray that the Holy Spirit would do his saving work and that would do his convicting work, and that would do his, he, he would do his changing work on us. And that has been my prayer for you all week this week, because this week we're in a passage of Scripture. We're completing our sermon series on the I am in the manger with the final I am statement that Jesus says to his disciples in the, in the Gospel of John. And he's going to be saying, I am the true vine uh, this morning. And so as we look at this text, we'll see that it's a very intimate text, a very, very intimate text. And it just so happens to fall here on the first Sunday of the year, which is a great challenge for us as Christians and believers who, uh, who, who read this word and, 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 and hear this preaching and, uh, and preach this preaching because the word affects me too as I preach, uh, challenges me, convicts me, uh, that this year... Uh, my prayer for you has been all week that God would refresh um, uh, an excitement and and a a deep priority in spending intimate time with the Lord. And you know what I'm talking about? For those who spend regular intimate time with God, uh, you know what I'm talking about. My prayer for you has been that you have this high, high priority This year, on spending intimate, intimate, intimate time, one-on-one time with the Lord. And it just so happens that this passage of Scripture falls and talks just about that. And so as we get into the Scripture this morning, um, I I just want to say I am thankful for the Word of God. Amen. Are you thankful for the Word of God? I am thankful for the Word of God. In our English translation of the Word of God, we have the books all organized for us, right? They've even broken it down over the centuries into chapter divisions, into verse divisions, and even over the past few decades, they've even, the scholars have even broken it down into little passages. So a lot of of what you'll see in your Bible is headings over subdivisions, right? And I'm so thankful for that because as I look at at scripture, if I'm reading in a devotional, I can see these headings. I can see the chapter breaks. I can see the verse breaks. And a lot of times it's very helpful for me because I can refresh my memory on what's happened and what's led me to this point. But I will say that sometimes these divisions and subdivisions sometimes hinder us as we read. And let me, let, let me just explain it like this. 
Uh, how many of you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you have ever been in devotional time with the Lord and you spend spending time with God and the word and you start out maybe at a subheading, you start out at a certain chapter and it doesn't really make that much sense or really, or really it, 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 it it doesn't really get the full grasp of what it's trying to say. And I think a lot of times these headings and subdivisions, when we're so focused on starting on this chapter, starting on this subheading, that we can really honestly miss a lot of value that is in the text. And so we don't want to do that this morning, right? Jesus, and the last time I preached, I preached on uh, Jesus' I am statement of I am the light of the world. And I said that Jesus doesn't say anything in a vacuum. Okay, everything that Jesus says and everything that is recorded in scripture that Jesus says, there's something leading up to it. There is a reason behind why he is saying what he is saying. And there's a point that he's trying to get across. And so we come to John chapter 15. And just like all other scripture, just like all other passages that Jesus uh, has spoken that we have recorded, uh, we can't read this in a vacuum. Uh, so we're not even going to start reading it until we get the background, and then we're going to start reading it. My plan and my prayer is that we would go through this this morning verse by verse, and we would kind of pick it apart. And, and we're, gonna, we're, we're not going to go through everything because we would truly be here for several, several hours if we did that. So hopefully in the next couple of weeks, I might, uh, on a thing, some things that I just don't have time to say today, uh, hopefully over the next couple of weeks, I could be able to drop a couple of videos on Facebook for those who follow Riverside Church on Facebook, and hopefully that'll be helpful to you um, as, uh, as we look at the word together. So we're going to be in John chapter 15. Uh, these are the last hours uh, leading up to Jesus' crucifixion here. Okay, Um, this is the night before Jesus, or this is the same night, let me say. This is the same night that Jesus is arrested, and he's brought before the council. And then, you remember the story, right? They bring him to Pilate, and and, and, and they bring him before the Jewish council, and, and there's all this whole ordeal that happens that leads up to the cross. And we get to this point that Jesus is here the night he's arrested, the night they take him into captivity. And I just want to rewind from this chapter and just remind ourselves what has happened this night. Because it's going to be huge in understanding uh, the text that we're reading today. Okay, so this night, Jesus has gathered up in the upper room with his disciples. Do you remember this? So the disciples come in. He's removed his outer garment. And what does he do? He has a basin full of water and a towel. And he starts washing the disciples' feet. He starts washing the disciples' feet. The lowest of the low servant job that you can do, he starts doing it for the disciples. And then he gets up. And then they all sit around the table and they all eat Uh, They're sharing food and drink together. And then something is troubling Jesus at this moment. And Jesus says plainly to them, one of you will betray me. And he's talking to his disciples, his closest disciples. He says, one of you will betray me. And they all ask amongst themselves, whoa, who's going to betray him? I wonder who's going to betray him. And they start going up to Jesus and other gospel records. They go up to Jesus one by one and and, and ask, is it I, Lord? Like, certainly it's not me that's going to betray you, right? And, 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 and so that scene kind of ends, and then he, he gets to Judas. He talks to Judas, and he says, Judas. He points to Judas, and he says, what you have to do, what you have to do, get up and go do it quickly. Now, none of the disciples really know what Jesus is talking about. In fact, probably the lowest on their list 
of betrayers is probably Judas. Because Judas is very trusted among the group of people. He's the treasurer. He's the one who the Bible tells us he's, he's the one that holds the money bags for uh, the disciples and for the group. So he's pretty trusted. He's probably pretty low on the suspect list of betrayers. But Jesus sends him out. And he says, what you have to do, go and do quickly. What Jesus really means by that is the, the, the band of soldiers that you're going to get, go ahead and get, get, and get it. Now, I'll see you in the garden. And Judas walks out. And Jesus proceeds to have the, the, a meal with the remaining disciples, the true disciples, the ones that don't betray him, the ones that remain faithful and true. He begins to have a meal with them and institutes the Lord's Supper. And then he gives them encouragement. And he says, uh, the Holy Spirit is, is going to come when I leave. The Holy Spirit is going to come as a helper to you. And then they get up from the upper room. It's dark, it's night, and then they have to walk through Jerusalem, through the Kidron Valley, to go to a garden called Gethsemane, okay? I'll get a little tongue-tied there. A a garden called Gethsemane. So they're on their way to this garden. They're walking to this garden when Jesus uh, starts speaking to his disciples. And so I want want you to, to, to put yourself there, okay? If you are on your deathbed, If you know that you're going to die, probably the last few words that you're going to say are going to be pretty important, right? They're going to be meaningful. You might call your family. You might call your friends in there, say your goodbyes to how much you love them and all all, all these things. It's, it's a, it, it can be a very touching, moving moment. And Jesus, about to die, just a few hours away from death here as crucifixion, says in the, the, some of the most important words that his disciples are hearing. Now, his disciples, he's talking directly to them, but he's talking indirectly to all of us too. Because as believers, as followers of Christ, we are disciples of Christ. We are followers of Christ, and the way that Jesus interacts with his disciples then is the way that he interacts with us now. And so this passage of Scripture that we're about to read is going to uh, uh, apply to us very deeply, and I really pray that it challenges us, and I really pray that you see the importance of this. Y'all ready to get into John chapter 15? Amen? Two people. Awesome. We're going to do it anyway. Whether you're ready or not, we're going to do it, all right? John chapter 15, all right, verse 1. We're only going to go through five little words. I am the true vine. Now, why would Jesus say this walking on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane? I still have trouble saying that. The Garden of Gethsemane, why would he say that on the way? The Garden of Gethsemane is a grove of olive trees, it is, a, it, is a, it is a place where, you pre, where, where they collect olives, they press it, and they, and they get it for oil. But uh, we can see why Jesus is saying, is saying that he's the vine, because typically for thousands of years in the Mediterranean region, uh, olive trees, groves of olive trees, and uh, grapes and vineyards were pretty much planted together. Uh, same soil, same growing conditions. They help each, they help one another grow. And so on the way, it wouldn't be unthinkable. In fact, it's very possible, uh, very, very possible that as they're walking across to Jerusalem, as they're walking across the Kidron Valley, they see vineyards as they're walking to the garden. And Jesus picks it out and says, I am the true vine. 
Now, I don't have a problem with that. Like, I, I, that, does, that doesn't really stop me. That makes, that makes pretty much good sense. But I'm going to stop myself there as we read, I am the true vine, and ask why the adjective that he uses. I am the true vine. He could have said, I am the life-giving vine. He could have said, I am the good vine. I am the healthy vine. I am the, 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 uh, uh, the strong vine. He could have said all those adjectives. Why the true vine? And this gives us uh, back to the Old Testament. See, any good Jew back in the ancient world would know, and any reader, avid reader of the Old Testament would know, that back in the Old Testament, Israel was uh, uh, represented or was represented by, in prophetic literature and poetic literature, oftentimes as a vine or a vineyard. That's what Israel was represented by. And so when Jesus is saying the true vine, what he's saying is that I am the true Israel. Now, places like Isaiah chapter 5, Psalm chapter 80, Jeremiah, Hosea, all refer to Israel as vineyards. But most often than not, more often than not, it's referred to as a not-so-productive vineyard. Why? Because if you remember back in the Old Testament, what was Israel always doing? Rejecting God. They were always disobeying God. They were always disobeying God's commandments, right? And so what Jesus is basically saying is he's saying, look, the, what Israel was supposed to do, I'm doing. The obedience that, that Israel was supposed to have toward God in the covenant, I'm having. I, I have that obedience. I, I, I'm obeying them. See, Israel ran after other gods, but I don't run after other gods. The relationship with my father is perfect. Israel was was supposed to keep the covenant. They didn't. They broke it. But I'm keeping the covenant. So this is, Jesus can truly say here that I am the true Israel. And that is very important for, this Jew, for these Jewish disciples to hear because they, they connect that. And, and really what Jesus is, means is saying that everyone after me too will, will be part of the true Israel. Everyone after me, everyone who believes in me through, uh, by grace, through faith, will be part of the new Israel. And this is why Paul can say with confidence in Romans chapter 9 that not all who were born of Israel are really Israel. It's those who are, are born in, uh, not of the flesh, but of the spirit, right? By grace, through faith. And so this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I am the true Israel. Now, he's not only making the claim that he is the true Israel. This is why he uses the adjective, I'm the true Israel. I'm not the fake Israel. I'm not the disobedient Israel. I'm the true Israel. But he not only does it to give that point, but he also says, I am the true vine to give an analogy and to give a parable. And this is what we're going to dive deep in today is, is this parable. So there's a few stories. Uh, there's a few characters in this, in this story. There's a few characters in this parable. And we've already been introduced to one. Jesus says, I am the vine. I, I am the vine in this analogy. And then his very next words are this. Look in John chapter 15, verse 1. He says, I'm the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. I want to go ahead and introduce you to a third character in the story. So we have the second character is the father, God the father, who is the vine dresser. All right. The third character in the story can be found in, in verse 5. <laughs> Excuse me. In verse 5. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. This is what Pastor Jared read just a few minutes ago. And so he's talking to his true disciples, and he says, you are the branches. So 
So there's three characters already in the story, all right? We have Jesus, who is the vine, the Father, who is the vine dresser, and his disciples, who are the true branches, who are the branches, okay? Why does this make, why, why, why does this make any difference? Because the way that the vine dresser interacts with the vine is extremely important to us. Vine dressers care for vines. They care for the branches. They care for for fruit. Anybody who's ever grown a garden before knows that if you want a successful garden, you got to take care of it. If you want a a successful flower bed, which I don't really have that much of a successful flower bed because I barely do any work in mine. If you want a successful one, you have to work for it. You have to take care of the plants. Verse 2. Let's look at verse 2. I want to look at some of the activity of the vine dresser. He's the star of the story, okay? He's the star of the, the parable here. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, the vine dresser, takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. So we already have some tasks of the vine dresser. Number one, number one well, he takes away the branches that don't bear fruit. We'll deal with that in a minute. But I want to I hone in on how he deals with the branches that do bear fruit. What does it say he does to them? He prunes them, right? What does prune mean? It means you take out some scissors or some shears or some cutting devices and you cut them. Now, the connection here is pretty easy to see. How many of you have ever been pruned by God before? I have, for sure. And a lot of times pruning does not feel good. I'm sure if plants had feelings and were able to talk, they would probably say ouch <laughs> whenever they were cut, right? It doesn't feel very good, but it's necessary to shape the plant in the way you want it. It's necessary to bear more fruit in Christian. I'm talking to you right now. Disciple, I am talking to you right now. Because God, based on your experience, you probably know that God definitely prunes us. There have been times in my life where uh, I, I feel like I haven't really done much wrong, but God still pruned me. I remember there was this one time I was a staff member of a church. And this church was kind of going off the rails on what they were preaching, what they were teaching. They kind of got away from the gospel and more to self-help kind of gospel. And I, and I approached a pastor and I was like, uh, we're getting away. Like, we need to get back. And it was a very stressful time because the pastor didn't agree. And it was, ho- it was a horrible time for me. It, asked my wife, that was some of the most tear-filled nights of my life. And days of my life. That time was so difficult for me. Months and months of, of just filled with stress, anxiety. Months and months of, of filled with, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Like, I, I, this, is, this, is not, this is not right. But God was pruning me. And I look back on that, on, that, on, on that particular instance now, and I said, thank God for that instance. Thank God for that circumstance. Have you ever been through a rough circumstance before that God has led you through, and you look back on it later on, and you say, thank you, Lord, that you brought me through that. 
It was tough. It was hard. It was horrible. But you taught me. You pruned me. I grew fruit. I was molded and shaped by that moment there. Sometimes the pruning comes in, uh, in ways uh, of uh, painful uh, cutting that I did deserve. <laughs> Most definitely. Because how many of you have ever dealt with sin in your life? Everybody should be agreeing with that. Yes, I've dealt with sin in my life. You have dealt with sin in your life. And when God convicts you hard of sin that you're in, he's pruning you, Christian, to get it out of your life. He's pruning you to shape you and to mold you to be made more like Christ so that you're what? Your fruit will increase. Cut the bad stuff away and shape you. I remember we used to live in a house out in the country that uh, we had this big, huge, nice uh, azalea bushes. But they got out of hand after a few years and they had gnarly branches in them. And that was the hardest thing to get up. The, the branches went down in the ground, I guess developed roots, and then came back up. It was just the most painful thing to deal with. And after living there, it took a couple years of pruning that azalea bush to get it looking like I wanted it to look. But sometimes we have some gnarly branches in our life that God says, nope, you're sinning. You're not following me here. I'm cutting it out and I'm doing it for your good. Pruning does not feel good often. You know what else a vine vine dresser does? Somebody who cares for the plants, he lifts up the branches. We had a satsuma tree out in the country several satsuma trees, and this one satsuma tree got so big that the branches were touching the ground. And you you know what happens when fruit starts to grow on there and it's touching the ground? Well, they rot. They They don't grow pretty. So we have to make sticks and we have to put up the branches, lift them up. There have been times in my life, y'all, where God has had to lift me up. One particular time was was when my dad died. That was hard. So hard. But God didn't leave me out in the dark. He lifted me up. And he caused me to bear more fruit because he shaped me through that. He shaped me through the grief and through the despair. I saw the light and I saw him and he shaped me and made me trust him. Made me depend on him more. The vine dresser is a vine dresser that loves you and he cares about you. Let's continue reading. says already verse three already you are clean because of the word i've spoken to you now remember he's speaking to his disciples his disciples that are with him at this moment walking through the night with him these are people who are clean already and this kind of hits back to earlier in the night when jesus was washing the disciples feet and peter says no lord you're not going to wash my feet you'll never wash my feet and jesus says if i don't wash your feet then you have no part with me and and peter being the, the 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 you know, ecstatic guy that he is, he says, well, don't just wash my feet, wash my head, wash my body, wash everything. And Jesus kind of chuckles at him, I'm sure, and says, look, the one who's bathed doesn't need to be cleaned already. Just his feet needs to be washed. And so these disciples are clean. And, but Jesus says one key thing in that, in that interaction with Peter. He says, but not all of you are clean. There's one of you that's not clean. And that's, as we know, the betrayer, Judas, who was not clean, but he's talking to his disciples, minus Judas here, and he's saying, look, you're already clean. Why are you clean? Because the word that I have spoken to you. God's word makes us clean. 
God's word makes us clean. God himself in his word and through his word makes us clean. And there is no way other than his word that we can be clean. Amen. And so let's continue reading. I spent a long time on there, but I want to get into the, into the, into the meat of it. Verse four, he says, abide in me as I in you and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him. It is he that bears much fruit for apart from me. You can do nothing. And this is a, 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 a hint back to Philippians chapter two, isn't it? Look, uh, just listen here. Philippians chapter two, verses uh, 12 and 13. It says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We can do nothing apart from Christ, Christian. Now, I'm not saying that non-Christians can't stand up and walk to their car and drive out of here. That's not what Jesus is saying here. But Jesus says, look, you want to do something with eternal significance? You're not going to be able to do it without me. Everything, this is what Paul says, everything apart that is done apart from faith is what? Sin. This is what Paul says. And Paul says, if you want to do something of eternal significance then you're not going to do it apart from me feeding you life. And he gives this whole analogy here. He says, look, abide in me. And I want you to picture this vine and these branches connected to the vine. These branches are getting their nutrients where? From the vine. They're getting their very life from the vine. And Jesus says in verse 4, he says, abide in me. And I and you. And what Jesus is saying here is take special care of our intimate relationship with each other. Take care of a special relationship that we have together. Take care of that. Even though you're clean, even though you're saved, even though you have a relationship with God, take care that you continue in your relationship with God. Now I want to jump back to verse 2. He says, every branch in me, because we're about to get to the, the other type of branch, the other person in the story, the fourth person in the story, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And some people might, might take this to mean that, well, he's saying that every branch in, in me uh, that does not uh, that bear fruit, he's going to cut off and he's going to throw into the fire and he's going to take away, he's going to throw with the other branches, they're going to be withered. Does that mean that you can be in Christ, have salvation, and then if you don't do good enough, be cut off and then thrown into the fire and go to hell? Can you lose it? And the answer is emphatically no. That's not what he's talking about. See, because we often read this a little strangely. Because Paul's letters, whenever he talks about being in Christ... He is most often, and that's a common phrase he uses, being in Christ, in him. That is a phrase that he uses for regenerate, saved people. For regenerate people that love the Lord and have a relationship with the Lord. That's most often how he uses that phrase. And we try to read that Pauline meaning into what Jesus says here. And Jesus is not using it that way. He's using it as an analogy. Now you've got to remember, here's the context behind it. You got to remember who just left Jesus in the upper room? Judas. Who's going to betray Jesus in the garden? Judas. Was Judas connected to the vine? Yes. In a, in a, in a saving way? Mm-mm. He associated himself with Jesus. And this is what Jesus is talking about. He's saying those people, you will have people that will associate themselves with me. 
Judas associated himself with Jesus for three years, became one of his closest, most trusted followers, associated himself with Jesus for three years, but wasn't, was a dead branch that the father would cut away and eventually throw into the fire. These disciples are about to see Judas betray Jesus. They haven't seen it yet. They have no clue in their mind that Judas is the betrayer. They're about to see Judas betray Jesus. And so Jesus is giving them a, head, Jesus is giving them a heads up. And he's saying, look, there are two types of branches that are connected to me. There's the branch that bears fruit, and there's the branch that doesn't bear fruit. A lot of uh, scholars and that I've read commentaries on and everything like that call these Judas branches, right? The, 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 and there's a reason why, because he's saying that's what kind of branch Jesus, Judas is. He doesn't bear fruit. He's being cut off. He's being thrown in the fire. But then there are fruitful branches, those who really truly abide in Christ. And that's the whole difference. Judas did not abide in Christ. What do I mean by to abide? Well, I mean to live, to get his life from, to be uh, uh, sustained by Christ himself. Judas did not want that. Judas rejected that. In church, just being real, there are several people in the church all throughout the world that are Judas branches. You don't see Judas branches in the Hindu temples. You don't see Judas branches in the Muslim mosques. Why? Because they don't even associate themselves with Jesus. Jesus is not even talking about that. It's like these people don't even associate. They're they're not even considered branches. What he's talking about is people that associate themselves with Jesus. Guess what? Judas branches are in Sunday schools. Judas branches are in worship services. Judas branches are in small groups. In some churches, Judas branches are in leadership. In some churches, Judas branches are pastors. Not in this church, thank God. I mean, I don't know the condition of Jared's soul, but uh, (laughs) he believes God. He loves God. But Judas branches are everywhere. What is the difference between a Judas branch and a fruitful branch? He's not making this rocket science. Let's read it again. Verse 4. He says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, it is he who bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. What's the difference between a Judas branch and a true branch? Abiding in Christ, period. So, the pressing question is, what does abiding in Christ look like? That's the question that we really need to get down to. And Jesus fleshes it out a little bit later on. I just want to say, True branches, fruitful branches, find their life in Christ. Listen closely. True branches, Jesus is not just a part of a true branch's life. Jesus is their life. Christ is their life. It's like, I I can't breathe without him. I'm sustained by him. 
I love him intimately when I have a relationship with him. You hear this saying, it's popular, it's made popular, it's still popular, I guess. It's not about religion, it's a relationship. About a relationship. How many of you have heard that? It's not about religion, it's a relationship. I disagree with that somewhat because I think religion is a commitment and I, I believe it is about a commitment somewhat. But however, I get what they're saying. It's not about the external factors. Oh, I go to church, I'm involved in Sunday school, I do all this, I do X, Y, and Z. It is truly about the relationship with Christ. And Jesus points it out here. He says, whoever abides in me will be the one who bears fruit. And the one who doesn't abide in me, it's very, very clear logic. You abide in Christ, you bear fruit. You bear fruit, he prunes you. You He prunes you, you grow more fruit. You grow more fruit, you abide in Christ. You abide in Christ, you grow more fruit. You grow more fruit, he prunes you. And it's a cycle over and over and over again. But this is the cycle of the branch who withers and falls away. You're connected to Christ. You are connected to Christ. You associate yourself with Jesus Christ, but you don't abide in him. He's not your life. He's not your source of life. Like you don't, you don't depend on him in a relationship way to where it, like he's your everything. I just, eh, every now and again, he, he's a part of my life. Don't bear fruit. Don't bear fruit. Cut you off. Withers. Thrown into the fire. This is not me saying it. This is Christ saying it. Verse 7, he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you wish and it will be done for you. Don't you see? This is an intimate relationship he's talking about. And this is why I say this is a perfect time to talk about this. And I mean, really, any time is the perfect time to talk about this. But New Year, people are looking for resolutions, right? I have gained uh, on my keto diet that I've started last week early, got a jump, jump start on the new year. I have gained or I've lost a negative two pounds. For you math majors out there, that means I've gained two pounds. And I'm like, oh man, I must not be in ketosis yet. So uh, we pray that that changes. But people are looking for resolutions. People are looking for new starts. People are looking for fresh things in the new year. Christian, won't you be intimate with Christ? Won't you be intimate with God? And it's just not going to just happen. You wake up in the morning and you'll and you be like, okay, well, uh, it hasn't happened today, so I guess it'll happen tomorrow. No, this involves planning. This involves work. This involves effort. And Jesus says, take care to see that you abide in me and I in you. Take care to do that. Take care to see that our relationship is vibrant here and that you're bearing fruit. He says, if you abide in me and my what abides in you. Everybody say it. My what? Words. Somebody say it louder. My words, right? My words abide in you. My words abide in you. Are you getting life from this? This is the question. Christian, non-Christian, I don't... People, human beings in this room, are you getting life from this? Or is this a chore? Or is this just a book that collects dust on the shelf? Or is this a book that, that, that you just, I may or may not bring it to church on Sunday. Do you get life from this? Does this sustain you? He says, if you abide in me and my words richly abide in you. 
Ask whatever you wish, and I'll give it to you. Oh, Lord, $100 million right now. Come on, bring it on. That's not what he's talking about, is he? Have you ever spent so much time with someone that they're, what makes them happy makes you happy? Have you, ever, have you ever done that? My wife loves, she, she loves whenever I, I smoke meat. Uh, that's one of my hobbies, right? And so she loves whenever I say, uh, I'm going to take five hours out of the day and I'm just going to smoke some ribs. And she loves that, right? <laughs> she, li- she likes it not because of the food, because it's probably not that great, to be honest with you. But she likes when I do it because I like it. You spend so much time with some, somebody and you get to know their likes. Your desires start to see their desires. And, and, and it's not so much about, okay, well, I got to give him his time to smoke his meat, you know, and, and, and I've got to check that. But, 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 but isn't that sometimes how we approach God? Sometimes we approach God as, oh, I got to give him my time today, so I've got to check the box. I've got to, I've got to, I've got to, to, to do my reading, or uh, I won't be prepared for my D group, or I won't be prepared for my small group, or whatever. I've got to do the reading. I've got to go to church this month. One, one of my children once told me, um, you know, we have to go to church tomorrow. And I said, no, son, we get to go to church tomorrow. We get to spend it with the people of God. And sometimes that's how we treat God. We're like, oh, well, we just got to check it off a box instead of spending intimate time with the Lord, knowing what he likes, liking what he likes, and our desires are changed. And this is why Jesus can say, look, you spend this time with me. If you get one-on-one with me and spend time with me and get to know me, ask whatever you want. You know what? Because you're not going to really depend on that $100 million because really you'll find out that the only reason you want that is because you want security in your life and you're not trusting in me for your security. Really, the only reason that, 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 that you want um, uh, this position is because you want security in your life and you're not trusting in me for it. Depend on me, Jesus says. I'm the vine, you are the branches, I will give you life. This is what he's saying. And he's saying, when you ask when you spend that time with me, your, your desires are going to shift and change. And you're going you're gonna to love to just build my kingdom. So whatever you ask, in that mind frame, whatever you ask, it's yours. It's yours. He says, by this, my father is glorified. Verse 8. By this, my father is glorified. By what? He's going backwards and he's going forwards. He's saying, by this relationship, my father is glorified because... As we're going to see here in a second, uh, this is a deep, deeper, intimate relationship than we can ever even fathom. Okay? He says, by this my Father is glorified, by this relationship my Father is glorified, and by that you bear much fruit, and I'm in verse 8, and so prove to be my, my disciples. He's not saying, here, here, we, here we go, Christian. It, 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 I, it sounds easy, right? It sounds, it sounds like something, okay, well, just stop being, stop being stupid, stop sinning, do the right thing, and bam. Like, if you're going to be a Christian, if you're really a Christian, then you're not going to do ever wrong, ever any period. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying, look, bear much fruit to prove to be my disciples. The fruit is not a requirement to be Jesus' disciple. And let me say that again. The fruit is not, the fruit in your life is not a requirement to be one of Jesus' disciples. It is the proof. You will have fruit. There's no such thing. Let me just spell this right now. There's no such thing as a fruitless Christian. The Bible doesn't speak that way. 
The Bible does not speak of a, a fruitless Christian. It's non-existent. Right? As it's, it's like we go over church roles. We got active church members and inactive church members. Like, it doesn't make sense. Like, all church members are active, right? Not inactive. And so as we say this, we say that, that, that Jesus here at the end of this verse, he says, your fruit will prove that you are my disciples. As you bear fruit, it will be evidence on your side. And you stand before the judgment God will look at your fruit, but look at the works of Christ. Make the judgment determined on the works of Christ, but your fruit will stand too. Because why? We just read in Philippians chapter 2, is God that works in us to will and to work for his good pleasure. Right? He puts the desire in us and he to, to will and to work. All right, so let's continue on. This is the intimacy of the relationship here. As the Father has loved me, memorize this verse. Memorize this verse. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. What more perfect relationship is there in the whole universe than the Father with the Son? There's not. There's no more perfect relationship than the Father than with the Son. And guess what? He's saying the way that the Father loves him is the way that he loves us. Friend, all, everybody look. Friend, I'm not being cliche. God loves you with a fierce, fierce love. And I'm not saying that just to say it. He sees you. He's the God who sees you. He's the God who sees you go through that struggle. He's the God who sees you go through that sin. He's the God who sees you Mourning. He's the guy who he's the God who sees you happy and joyful. He's the God who sees you and knows you intimately. And Jesus says, "As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Just abide in my love." I can't, I, I'm Jesus is here. I'm I'm here for the relationship. I'm here for you to feed off of me. I'm here for you to have that one on one with me. I'm here for for, for you. All you got to do is come. All you have to do is come. Verse 10, he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you <laughs> that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. That's hogwash, man, that, that people say that Christianity is boring. You want the most joy you're ever going to have in your life? Have a relationship with the Lord. An intimate, deep relationship with the Lord, and your joy will just be flooding over. Even in the worst of circumstances, you have joy. Our God is fiercely joyful, and He wants us to be fiercely joyful in Him. He's saying this for our joy. He's saying this, not to be like, okay, God, I guess I'll give in. I guess I'll submit. No, we get to have a relationship with God. Yes, I want you. And here we go. More rubber meets the road here. I told you I was going to keep you a little bit longer. Verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is no different. This is, this is not a different. Jesus doesn't just like turn the chapter here. He doesn't just turn the page here and says, okay, this is a completely different subject. This is off the same subject. 
All right? We'll see here in a second. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And how does Jesus love us? Like the Father loves him. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay his life down for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Not, not, that's not a, there's two types of if. If is a conditional if. Uh, like um, if I hit the ball, it will go into the catcher's mitt because, or if I swing at the ball, it'll go into the catcher's mitt because I'm not a very good batter. All right? That's a cause and effect type if. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. It, 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 the type of if that Jesus is talking about here is if you go to the doctor, you have cancer. And I heard this analogy from uh, Pastor John Piper. He says, if you go to the doctor, you have cancer. And he says, if your white blood count is low, then you're in remission. That's the type of if that Jesus is talking about here. It's a proof if. It's an evidence if. And Jesus says, if you love me, if you love me, the evidence will be that you will keep my commandments. The evidence will be that you follow me. The evidence will be that you do what I ask you to do because you love me. No longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing. I'm in verse 15. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask in my name, he may give it to you. That's a sermon in and of itself that we're not going to touch today because we don't have time. Verse 17, these things I command you so that you will what? Somebody finish it. So that you will love one another, so that you will love each other. But you know, sometimes in the church, we don't quite love another, one another with this love. Why? I mean, it's kind of easier to love God, I, I guess, in a, in a manner uh, with this type of love because uh, God is flawless. But you look around the room and you see a bunch of people with flaws, right? I have flaws, believe it or not. My wife has flaws. I know you don't see them, but she's got them, all right? You have flaws. I have flaws. And so sometimes it's hard to love one another like Christ loves us, like the Father loved him, to love one another like Christ commands us to love one another. But he's giving us this, this particular passage of Scripture so that, number one, we will abide in him, but number two, that we will love one another. But sometimes there's gossip in the church. Sometimes there are, you just don't want to deal with the problem. I, I, I know of a staff member um, in, in another church one time that, that, that went through this very thing. There was two staff members. One was in particular uh, not fulfilling some kind of task or whatever. And uh, the other staff member, instead of going to that person about him, went to to leadership about him, and it caused a big stink within the church. And I'm like, how was that? How was that loving one another? Even even leaders of churches go through this. You love one another by going to the person and loving them and saying, "Do you need help? <laughs> See, you're struggling. Do you need help? I see. I see that. I see that you're you're you're." You, you might be um, uh, straying a little bit. What can I do to help you? And this should be our attitude toward one another. Look around the room. These are the people that we should live life with in, 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 in that kind of manner. In that kind of manner. We should come to one another and say, hey, look, I love you. Is, it, is there something I can help you with? Is there something, that, is there something I can pray for you about? 
Is there something that, that I can help you prune something out so you'll gain more fruit and be able to produce more fruit? That's how we love one another within the church. And we do see this love in the church, right? We see this love in the church. This, this is what Jesus says. He says, the, the world will know me by the way you what? Love one another. That's how they'll know me. They're, they're not going to be sitting here listening to a, 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 a sermon full of, full of uh, you know, Bible talk and Bible jargon. They're not going to be doing that. But they're going to see the way that we love one another. And they're going to see, oh, man, something about that. And then they'll probably be more receptive to the gospel. Right? All this he says is because we, uh, so that we will love one another. Um, and I love, the, I love the fact that he calls us friends, right? He says in, the, in verse 13, he says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay his life down as his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you. He calls us friends. God, the creator of the universe, can call us slaves. He can call us servants. He can call us peons. He can call us whatever he wants to. He's God. But he chooses to call us friends. I texted J.D. earlier in the week, and I was like, hey, can you sing what, what a friend we have in Jesus? He's like, well, I, I pepped it up a little bit. <laughs> I was like, well, that's great, because the words are still so meaningful. And I like that arrangement, too. But God calls us friends. So the point is today, you might be here... You might have an issue with somebody else in the church. Listen, sometimes it can be awkward. <laughs> confrontation stinks. I hate confrontation. But sometimes we have to go to one another to reconcile. Sometimes we just can't let it go. Why? Because we're branches that drink from the same vine. We're drinking from the same vine. We get our life from the same vine. So we have to reconcile. It's a commandment. We have to. Joyfully. If I'm fighting with my wife, which that never happens, if we disagree, let's say it that way, if we have a strong disagreement together, um, I'm not going to want to make up with her and say I'm sorry just because, you know, it's the right thing to do and say, oh, I'm sorry, like that. That that means nothing to her. But I'm going to go to her out of love and I'm going to try to reconcile. Why? Because I want my wife. I, I desire the relationship more than I do. What I, what, whatever I get from her. This is what God wants from us, to love one another. Maybe you're here and you have an issue with somebody. Go get it right. You know, Paul encourages us before we take the Lord's Supper to make it right. You have a week because we're taking the Lord's Supper next week. Go make it right. Maybe you're here today and you said, I don't abide in the vine the way that I ought to. None of us do. But I'm going to start right now. This, pl- this year is going to be different. And I'm going to make plans right now to abide in the vine and get that, that intimate relationship with the Lord. And some of you may not have that. You may be saying to yourself, I'm a Judas branch. Just straight up, I'm a Judas branch. We would love to talk to you more about that, about how you can connect to the vine and receive from the vine. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do.